right we're now live chaps um, what we'll do is we'll just wait for everybody to come in and settle down a little bit mm -hmm. so I can see the attendees coming in now five six nine ten here we go so we'll just give it a few moments and then I'll introduce it and then I'll hand over to you two sounds good Right, um, good afternoon everybody um, and uh, welcome to another TFN uh, webinar. Um, this one is being delivered in partnership with uh, Bruin Dolphin. Uh, they are partners of ours and we are currently running a project called The Board You Can't Afford, which is set up for not just startup businesses, but also established businesses that are looking to find support funding or in some cases just feedback on what they can do to take their business to another level and, and grow. Uh, so as part of that we've decided that we'd like to run this webinar which is uh, all about uh, what um, uh, you can do to, 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 to bring on funding and uh, we have a very esteemed speaker here today, James Mayweather. Uh, thank you for your time. You. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, my name's Dale, by the way, in case you think who's this guy waffling on. I'm just, I'm, you're only going to see me for a few minutes. Uh, I'm the director of the Fashion Network. Um, like I say, we, we'll be doing this and we'll be doing other seminars uh, like this, set, uh, all dedicated to trying to help uh, you guys find an investment and funding. Um, it's going to run, uh, James is going to do a quick um, 15 20 minutes presentation and hopefully you'll be able to share some really useful insights for all you guys and then um matt and james will have a bit of a fireside chat for the remaining uh 30 40 minutes so if you have any questions uh there are a couple of ways you can ask the questions you can either ask the questions in the q a feature at the bottom or the chat feature or you can actually stick your hand up and we can put your feed live uh, we probably i don't know jane jane and matt we probably prefer to have uh questions in the chat box i imagine but um yeah ideally uh, i think that would be would be preferable right well without further ado i'm just gonna hand over to you matt so um, i'm gonna disappear from the screen everybody so i hope you find it all worthwhile and valuable any feedback please leave that in the chat or you're welcome to email or uh or, or contact us on social media like i say any feedback good or bad doesn't matter let us know so i'll leave you guys to it so cheers Perfect. Thanks, Dale. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, for those of you who don't know me, um, my name's Matt Casson. I'm an investment manager at Bruin Dolphin. As Dale's already said, um, you know, we partnered together on this uh, board you can't afford concept. Um, we're trying to help companies. There's no other way of putting it. Um, you know, most places will look for investment, but we're just trying to help companies in as many different areas as we can. Um, and a lot of that comes from feedback from yourself. So as Dale says, if you've got anything you'd like to ask, uh, or you'd like to help shape our webinar series going forward, then please do. Um, I, I'm going to pass over to James now. James is going to do his presentation for however long it, you know, it takes. We'll then have a nice chat, but you know, I do want to keep this open. So you know, if you have any questions, please just put them in the chat box um, and I'll come back to them after James and I have completed. So over to you, James. Perfect, thanks. Thanks, Matt, and thanks, Dale, for the introduction. Yeah, so let's, I'm going to just try and kind of talk people through and maybe give my insights, give some information about how the investment process generally works. I've asked the guys to rush me along. Should I start to waffle or ramble at any point? Let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, so, yes. So I'll just kind of take, take you through. 
always happy to speak to people. Just do let me know if you've got any questions. We've got my contact details at the end. Anything you, you want me to kind of go back on during the presentation or anything that we can talk further about, then, then please feel free uh, to reach out to me. So this whole presentation is around what investors generally look for in startup opportunities. Uh, I am with a uh, seed fund called KM Capital. So I kind of come at this from, from that perspective. So we take... Uh, we, were, we were launched back in 2017, just over three years ago now. The three uh, gentlemen who you can see in the picture there who, who are not me um, are, the, are the kind of founding shareholders of our fund. These guys have got you know, very complementary backgrounds, you would say, in kind of consumer-focused businesses spread across fashion, e-commerce, property, a couple of marketplace businesses. Um, and our kind of source of funding and our, our experience is kind of, kind of backed by the uh, family office of the, of the founding family behind Boohoo.com. So we're based... Uh, in Manchester, in the UK. So a couple of the, you know, the, the big businesses that we've been involved with, boohoo.com, prettylittlething.com, um, who, who I'm sure you're aware of. And uh, one of my other colleagues was a big part of scaling up uh, Betfair and Zoopla, um, two kind of big venture-backed success stories in the kind of mid, well, early to mid 2000s onwards. So we like to invest in, you know, what, what is known in the industry, and we'll get to this as kind of a, a pre-seed or a, or a seed round. Um, and generally that to us, that means that, you know, we're investing in companies who are doing kind of no more than maybe a million a year in revenue. Uh, and our investment is in order to kind of take an equity stake in, in these businesses. And again, uh, we'll get to what, what different investors might, might invest for and what their motives are. But generally we, uh, we, we invest for, for an equity stake in a business. So that's, so that's KM Capital, uh, seed fund based out of Manchester. Uh, and I fit into that having, having joined in, in 2018 as the, as a sole employee of this fund to kind of come and take hold of it and manage it for its, for its three founding shareholders who have various other businesses that they're, that they're still involved with. So previous to that, I was advising older, mature businesses around raising debt and equity, uh, taking each other over, you know, selling parts of businesses, creating a forecast, creating financial models. So that was my kind of, my kind of bread and butter. Uh, I came in, as I say, as, as the first person working on this fund and just networking with people like, you know, Matt and Dale, who, who might be working with companies who, you know, who, are, who are raising finance and just making sure people kind of know what we're about. So since I joined uh, a couple of years ago now, I've, I've kind of managed and led 16 of our latest investments across, across 14 different companies. Uh, with about 1.3 million invested uh, from, our, from our first fund. On top of that, I kind of manage the existing portfolio of now 21 active companies that, that we've got and just report to our, report to the three shareholders, report to our uh, connected family office, just of how the, how the, the, the companies are progressing. But I think it's very important like, to me personally, just to make the investment process a little more clear. I didn't, I didn't, when I joined this fund, I didn't really know the extent to which the kind of early stage investment world existed. I didn't, I didn't really know how it worked. I didn't know how fundraising worked. And I found some of the terminology a bit hard to navigate. And now I'm in the role and I, you know, and, and I know it really well. And of course, I'm not a master of it, but you know, I, I, know, I, know, the, I know this world very well now. And I don't think it needs to kind of be as complicated as it is. So to that end, I've kind of outlined here the, the different kind of operators that you would get in this kind of investment world. And you can kind of split them across different growth stages, if you like. So you, at, at the very small end, you've got a kind of seed stage business, what is known as a seed stage business. You've got early stage businesses, you've got growth stage, later stage, and then companies who are kind of preparing themselves for exit. So these are quite changeable and arbitrary labels given to, to businesses at, at each stage who are kind of bracketed into these different areas. You generally have a different source of finance for, for each, each stage. So 
as you as you can see here on the on the far left hand side, in the very very early stages of a business, you're self funding it, uh, which is here. You may be getting money from sort of family and friends and fools. People call that stage, uh, and then towards the, the top end here, your sources of finance are kind of public markets basically or, or private private equity, and depending on how much cash you need, each of these players can provide it a different source. As as you can see on the bottom there, um, the reason I set this up is because each of these kind of groups on here has a different motive and a, and a different expectation. You know, if you are to take funding from them, each of them has a different motive of why they are investing and, and there's implications with how you would need to run your business should you decide to take finance from, from each of these sources, which, which we'll get to. Uh, another quite nice kind of infographic on this here, uh, the fundraising journey from a, from a firm I'm connected to called Robot Mascot. Again, they're kind of identifying different providers of finance for each stage of business. So, you know, they would, they would categorize these things. You know, if you're a startup business, you're funded by your friends, family, angel investors, and small funds. When you're scaling up, you start to bring in more kind of institutional investors. And again, very important because these people have different kind of remits. Uh, and on this kind of classic scaling up journey, you also have like different um, labels applied to, to, you know, to each stage of business generally. You have a very early stage round, a pre-seed or, or a seed round they're known as right down here in the early days. And that would be generally to kind of fund losses. That's when you're, you know, loss making, you're establishing yourself as a business. And then you kind of, the, the sort of classic VC journey, I guess, would be that you kind of continue to take on funds as you scale up and potentially become more profitable. And you, you might be raising money for growth rather than uh, raising money to kind of fund your losses, uh, as I've kind of said there. And this... This is kind of a, a textbook example of how a business might grow. Never works out like this in practice. You know, your different round, you can have a big round followed by a small round. You can, you know, have, have emergency fundraisers where, you know, the business for whatever reason becomes short of cash. So this is by no means a kind of bread and butter easy journey to go through. But I think it's important that you kind of understand these labels and the different sorts of people who would operate at these stages. Uh, but fundamentally, um, I think, as I've said, like investors expect to see different things at a different stage of a business, but at the earliest stages, these, these can be quite similar really. And I think there's a kind of a handful of things that any kind of early stage investor looks for, ourselves included. You know, we operate at the, at the early stage of a business. Most important, I think by far would be who is running this business, what, what experiences do the team have? How are you an expert in your field? To what extent have you scaled up a business before? Not that any two businesses are the same, but there's certain bumps in the road that a lot of businesses will face. And it's a small bit of comfort for us if we're considering making an investment in a, in a founding team that they've maybe been there and done this before. The market is very important. We'll get to why that is the case if you're gonna kind of go on this fundraising journey a little bit later, but I think in order to be an attractive investment opportunity, you need to be operating in a, in a big enough market very difficult like you can be a great business in a in a small market and i kind of make this point later but that potentially doesn't really fit in with the investment model of angel investors and venture capital funds they are looking for your kind of probability to, to turn your company into a really big business and operating in a big market allows you kind of gives you the potential to do that and what i kind of term scalability here so an important kind of feature of a business you know when i'm potentially looking at, at making an investment in it um, how kind of scalable is it? How long does it take a customer you have acquired to return your investment in acquiring them? 
how fixed is your cost base? How many more kind of overhead costs are you adding for each new customer you you bring into the business? How capital intensive is your business basically? So for us, these are kind of the, the three gateways, if you like. You know, if there's a if there's a big gap in one of these, and this is all kind of subjective and, and down to our opinions, but if there's a big if there's a big gap in any one of these, then it's really quite hard to get to get to the next uh, set of tests, which I would outline here. So what's your competition like? To what extent is your business kind of doing something new and novel? How much competition is there in the area? So it seems we've seen a lot of kind of people attempting to disrupt the kind of right move and Zoopla model right now. Um, you know, a lot of that and the old kind of venture capital trope is that something needs to be 10 times better than whatever the incumbents in that market are doing before you can really make a dent and, and, and create a big business in that space. So how different is the model or approach? In terms of your route to market, are you making sales yet? Uh, who is your kind of end customer? So for KM Capital, given the businesses that we have scaled and supported in the past, we are we are useful to people who are selling to you know a wide consumer base. We are not so good for people who are trying to sell a product into government, for example, or into the NHS, something like that, because we we don't know how to navigate that process or we haven't navigated that process ourselves. So, you know, what is your route to market and does that fit with us? In terms of your momentum, you know, what does your kind of growth curve seem to be like? Have you been slogging this out for the last 10 years and really struggling to get traction? That clearly is an indicator that, that potentially this is, a, this is going to be a tough business to scale. In terms of your revenue model, you know, what is your pricing strategy? Is it realistic? How does it scale? How does your pricing change as you, you know, acquire your next million customers compared to your first million? Um, and then in terms of you know, more fundamentally your financial model, how does your cash flow cycle work. I think what's difficult for a lot of business, you know, a lot of product businesses is getting your supply chain right. You know, do you need to buy all of your stock and pay cash up front and store it in a big warehouse before you have even made a sale to your kind of end consumer through your kind of Shopify store or whatever that is. So it's important to to kind of assess that. And if that works very much in your favor, if you're buying everything up front and then selling it, I think you'll always have certain uh, financing problems which can be overcome with other other Kind of financing models but that's that's another thing that we consider and then in terms of funding round itself if you're if you're raising a round of funding from from an investor uh what how has the round progressed are you getting a lot of interest in this round and are we a good strategic fit for your business so are we the right type of investor who you feel like you um you should be working with uh very important just readying your business for investment before you kind of go out and and approach people and this can be quite tough, I'd say, before you consider kind of going to equity investors in, in, in any way, um, you're going to have to put, you're going to have to get some skin in the game. You're going to have to invest some of your personal finances into, into this venture. If you approach an investor, having not invested a penny of your own, your own money into a company, it's quite difficult to convince an investor that you're, you're a kind of good bet. And that's a difficult ask, really. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have my own finances to go and start a business with. However, I've got to kind of assess founders you know, commitment almost to a project by how much they might have invested themselves. Um, and also you don't want to kind of invite sharehold, new shareholders into your business too early and have to give away too much of a stake um, beforehand. So yeah, I would just make sure that you have kind of figured out how much cash you might need to hit your next milestone, whether that's reaching a profit or a next investor. Uh, and I would advise kind of making a bit of a detailed shopping list of, of things that you might need to to spend on to grow your business. So you would then maybe need to summarize that total list. It might look something like this. You might be spending money to acquire stock. 
do marketing, make hires, uh, just give yourself some kind of breathing space and working capital. Let's say that's just short of half a million quid that you feel that you need. What you then need to do is assume that an investor is going to expect realistically, this is based on you know, lots of data of actual funding rounds completed. They're going to expect to, to acquire between 50 and 20% of your business. So here you're kind of valuing your business somewhere in the range of, you know, just short of 2 million to about two and a half million. Uh, that means, you know, your business is worth 1.8, got 450K of cash going in, which is very easy to value. Uh, and your, your post money valuation will be known as kind of two and a quarter million there, which means you've sold 20% of your business for that 450K. And again, these terms are things that you will see, you know, as you kind of navigate a fundraising journey. So it's important to, to familiarize yourself with them. So once you've kind of arrived at your valuation based on your shopping list of different things that you need, have a think about, you know, will investors agree with that? And we'll get to the sources of how you can benchmark your business against others. But I think you have to have a skeptical look at, at the business and say, is an external investor going to agree with me that my business is worth this? If it is, then great. You can start the next step, which is to go out and find investors. But, but if, if not, then why do you think that might be? And can you maybe stagger your fundraising? Can you afford to raise a bit less than that 450 up front? Maybe half that and, and kind of stagger things and reapproach investors at a later point when, when you maybe you can command a, a little bit of an increase in your valuation. So this is all part of kind of making your business ready for investment. And there's tons of resources out there that can, can help you do that. I've highlighted a couple there. So some of the kind of data that I've based these valuations on here is from a firm called Seed Legals, who are great kind of startup lawyers effectively, but I would Google them if you haven't already. And then a firm called Robot Mascot as well, who are great at kind of getting businesses investment, investment ready, the kind of a startup branding agency, if you like. So I really like those guys, I think they're good. So going back to the different kind of stages of uh, investment that you can go through, and again, initially you've got your self-funding, family, friends, uh, and loans. You'll see this in the, in the kind of jargon termed as the bootstrapping phase, all your funds are coming from close connections, family members, personal lending. At this point, you need to get your business going, get it off the ground, get some early adopters, and then just start to generate some kind of early consumer data to show that you know there's, there's demand for your product and you can deliver it profitably. And you profitably long term, but I don't think you'll be profitable now. Just because you're a very early stage business now, and then investors are interested in kind of the story and how you communicate the opportunity, how you Kind of sell that and sell the vision that in 10 years time you're going to be you know as big as uber or someone like that you might at this point kind of be talking to kind of accelerators and incubators and company builders if you've not come across these they have a kind of application process and try and effectively just accelerate your business so you apply to an accelerator if you if you're admitted they just give you a load of different like a suite of business services so some shared office space some networking with other founders some maybe financial resources or you know if they're a bank that has an accelerator some access to uh, subsidized banking products that kind of thing if you go down this route and you want to kind of take resource or take funding from them again you're just continuing out demand for your product now maybe you're making sales but maybe not maybe but then you will be kind of making some kind of progress you, you, you will be growing <clears throat> you might be making your first hires and, and these people you know when you apply to them they they want businesses with the ability to, to scale up and, and, and get big. Occasionally they're taking an equity stake in your business, uh, which means they have a real vested interest in you kind of kicking it on and, and growing. And you should look for, like, if you're applying or thinking about applying an accelerator or an incubator, you need to be looking at its reputation. You need to be speaking to people in your network and, and seeing what they think of it. 
because um, some are better than others and from an investor point of view some certain accelerators which I you know would look at and think these are a real great outfit so there's, there's a few on there who I've worked with in the past to it who refer very interesting investment opportunities to me next up you might have uh, angel investors or you know groups of angel investors essentially these are high net worth people they probably sold a business of their own and then can reinvest capital into yours you can reach out directly to these people um, through various means, various databases and LinkedIn and places like that. In order to secure some of these, you're going to be generating some kind of revenue, but not too much. And I recommend, you know, people look for an angel investor who is specific to your industry, who knows your world. You know, you're running a fashion business, find an exited fashion entrepreneur. Um, and that's what they want as well. They want, they want to be able to kind of bring something else to the party other than capital. And they also want a financial return. So yeah, just find someone who kind of knows your industry, try and get references. This is a very long-term relationship. If you're inviting an angel investor into your business, this is like an eight, nine, 10 year relationship you're probably gonna have. You need to try to find good people who you connect with, who share your values, who are patient, who have the same vision for the business as you and kind of buy into you. Um, and you might have seen EIS and SEIS uh, initiatives in, in the past. This is essentially the government's attempt to encourage funding into early stage businesses. It's a big tax break for wealthy people. If they put their funds into startups, the government wants you know, the, the economy to innovate and, and produce you know, big, fast growing tech companies who can be big employers and give us some kind of competitive advantage. So you need to understand these terms and, and kind of speak to an accountant or a lawyer of how you kind of secure this. And there's lots of different kind of angel groups, angel investors, angel marketplaces. I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the Q&A. Um, but there's various different ways and various different kind of avenues you can tap into uh, in terms of securing angel investment. Crowdfunding is key. As, you, as, your, business, as your business grows, it's a, it's a route that you know, many people take. There's a couple of platforms in the UK. The biggest two are Crowdcube and Cedars. They'll let you, you know, I could just sign on to Crowdcube, find an investment opportunity that's listed on there. Stick, stick 10 pounds in, I've done it before, I put 50 pound in, this is called what, three words the other week, let's, let's see how that goes. Uh, and they're great for kind of consumer focused businesses where you might have a thousand retail investors into your business who then become kind of advocates and disciples and you know, they love your brand and love your business, etc. Oops, let me just get back into that. So yeah, crowdfunding is, a, is an avenue that maybe when your business grows a little bit, you can kind of get to. <clears throat> Good examples of that, you know, crowdfunding seeders, platform you, you, you launch your business on there, set evaluation, let's see who, you know, which retail investors kind of get on board. A big source of funding once your business reaches a certain stage is kind of venture capital. They identify companies who, who can grow big very fast, but the, understanding their model is key if you want to kind of get on this venture capital kind of scaling up journey. And I've kind of put it in these terms. So, Think about who venture capital's investors are in turn. So these will be institutional investors, pension funds or endowment funds, or just big, big institutional players. They have two options. They can invest in what they might think is kind of fairly predictable, safer investment vehicles. They'll have sophisticated teams of wealth managers and things like that who might be able to get, you know, let's say they would like 12% a year for their investments. Now, if they invest that through what they deem as maybe safer vehicles than venture capital, they can turn that 100 million increasing by 12% in 10 years into about 300 million quid. So that's, you know, that's an amazing game for them. Now, 
if you want to do the same thing through venture capital, you would say, let's say you put 100 million pound into a, into a VC fund. The VC will invest that over four years. They'll charge you a fee to do that. And this, this is quite simplified some of the numbers here, but the, the, the kind of the point is, is, is you know, very much a valid one. So the VC deducts uh, some money in fees for the, for the first years that it, that it invests, and that's just to cover its costs, cover its overhead, to pay its staff, falling when they cease to invest. Uh, but, you know, they, they would still levy a fee. So straight off the bat, that big institutional investor's 100 million has turned into 86. The DC would probably split that pot into two uh, to find brand new companies and make follow-on investments into, into what they deem as to be the fastest growing businesses. Continue to buy slightly more of that business as it grows. So you've, got, you've now got only 43 million to invest. That's probably a low number. Be, realistically, there'll be more than 20, but let's say, for the sake of argument, there's about 20 companies in this portfolio. When you look at the returns and how this model works and what happens in practice, let's say conservatively a third of them go bust, seven return their money to the to the fund. So, you know, they don't grow really, they they just they just return money and then and three give you know a small return. That's still only 47 million re- returned. And when you work the maths through, and I, and I can send you the tedious Excel working behind this document if necessary, what it means is that the remaining three have to give a 40 times return. They have to grow 40 times in value in order to make up the remainder of that 311 million pounds, which allows the VC to compete with the alternative for its investor. So the upshot of this lengthy example is that a VC looks at every business and asks, does it at least have the potential to be that ridiculous company that gives me a, a crazy return in very short order? So that's how fast that your that's how fast your business needs to be kind of capable of growing in order to fit the VC model. So if you secure VC funding, you're in for what I described here as a bit of a wild ride um, until the venture capital fund exits or sells its stake when your business uh, is acquired you know, at some point by, by someone else. So here you need to start scaling up really quickly. Um, the VC supports you with that and they want alignment with their thesis. So they've sold their fund to their investors saying they are experts in e-commerce or medical tech or something like that. So you need to make sure if applying your business kind of fits that fits that mold. Um, and important to make you know to make the point here that none of these types are coming for everyone. Like anyone, any investor um, wants to make a kind of capital return on on its investment, and that means you've got to kind of scale up very quickly and value your business. And that doesn't fit everyone. If you want to run a lifestyle business, this type of funding is not for you. Um, classic example that I've just pulled out here is Deliveroo. So Index and Hoxton invest. The delivery then will be worth between $10 million and $20 million. And Amazon recently invested at a valuation of 4 billion. So that's a big, big return for its early investors. So that's the venture capital model in practice. That's what they want to happen. So some common problems that I see on our fund, you know, reasons that we might not invest in a business, good business in a small market limits your ability to be that big returning, uh, big returner. Um, so again, a VC needs you to return the, the entire fund will have the potential to anything which makes that less likely makes things tough for you tough working capital cycle so the time between paying for and selling stock you could do with that being short make sure your working capital cycle is as efficient as possible um holes in a management team you know lack of technical skills is a, is a common pitfall that we that we see and a lack of fit between an investor and a startup so we like consumer brands we like e-commerce we like marketplaces you may be at a bit of a disadvantage if you apply to us and you're not in that bracket but that doesn't mean you have a bad business. You just, you know, you might want to apply for a 
a different source of funding or just kind of you know, run your business without these kind of uh, these kind of funders. So valuation is quite hard to get right as well. You know, you can't be too high or too low or you'll put people off. Um, but you need to just extend your network, canvas opinion and benchmark against businesses on places like Crowdcube and Cedars. Be aware that the hit rate for investment is very, very low uh, in the industry. For us, we invest in, we've invested in 1.2% of people who've approached us in 2020, which is like a ludicrously low stat, but it's kind of market, you know, the market rate. Uh, so do be aware that you need to have a really, really big network to kind of make this work. And an investor will expect a certain suite of documents probably um, to support an investment opportunity. And there's loads and loads of resources online as to how you can kind of build that investor deck. And, you know, it's not a document that you want to complicate, but it's something that you need to make stand out and not too formulaic. <clears throat> so in terms of wrapping up, um, be careful not to give away, you know, too much equity too early or too readily or, you know, to the wrong people. Don't, yeah, as I said there, don't give away too much of it. Don't give it to the wrong people. Be skeptical of anyone who wants to kind of, make an investment in your business make sure you've kind of due diligence them properly and reference them just do your research do loads of prep loads of networking you need a big network in order to kind of secure funding given the hit rate that i that i mentioned before and if you need if you need cash from investors don't go and ask for it when you when you've nearly run out if you, if you can avoid that um it kind of sets you off a, a poor negotiating position from the word go uh, a couple of resources there that i've just added into uh, maybe for you to go, go ahead and Google, which I found useful um, myself. And that just about wraps it up. I hope that was not too long, too short. Uh, but Matt, that's, that's, uh, that's the end of the presentation. Are you with me, mate? Yep, I'm just... Yeah. There we go. Sorry about that. Many thanks, James. That was really informative. Um, uh, it's very nice to hear KM Capital's secrets. Um, I'd, I'd just like to say, though, before before anyone sort of rushes to ask any questions or if there's anything you think you've missed in that presentation, the slides will be coming around. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, they've, they've been deliberately designed by James so that you can take them away. Mm -hmm. um, so what we're going to do now is I'm going to act almost as the investor, with, uh, sorry, as the um, business owner, and James obviously is the investor. And I've got a lot of questions that I'm going to ask James you know, we want to keep this open. So, you know, you've got your chat there, please, you know, join in um, as and when you feel the need to do so. Um, if there's any questions that are outstanding at the end, then we'll do our best to get back to you um, at a later time. So I'm going to start then, James, if it's okay. You know, one of the things I picked up on straight away was, you know, is whenever, you know, I see, you know, a new business, you know, gets told and they're setting up, is they hear about this fundraising journey and the journey yeah. that people are going to go on. Now, I look at that and I think, oh, well, it's already set for me. You know, is every business going to go on that same path? And the, the second sort of point to this is there's a lot of terms in there that, you know, I, I come from a certain background, I'm, you know, from a retail background. Mm -hmm. I've never had to deal with these terms pre-seed, seed, series A, series B, series C. Yeah. Where do I go? How, how do I find help? Well, I think there was a, let me just whip back into my presentation here. There was a few like resources. There's a few kind of resources out there for sure. Like for example, I've, I've kind of with their permission taken this uh, image from uh, a branding agency called uh, Robot Mascot. Let me just whip that up. Sorry. Um, and these people can kind of advise you and, and it's their remit to kind of help you get funded effectively. Um, some of the terminology, like it's quite arbitrary, I guess. I think I've put that in there. I mean, 
these terms came about, you know, your first round of funding was always your Series A, your second was your Series B, your third was your Series C, like really simple, right? But then as the industry got bigger and more capital was introduced into it, you almost needed, a, you know, more terms to kind of, mm. to kind of identify what size of, of business you were, you were dealing with. And then you get these kind of pre-seed and, and seed rounds. So they're not scientific labels to me and they don't imply a certain volume of funds that you're trying to get into your business they're just a kind of useful kind of finger in the air like rule of thumb uh, as to what you might expect you'll get a business calls a funding round a series a round and it raises 100 million dollars and you'll get another that does a series b and it's 10 it's they're not not kind of nailed on phrases and you don't your business doesn't have to follow this smooth upward trajectory either you know um i think depending on who your investors are they expect you know for a venture capital or an angel invest, venture capital fund or an angel investor to invest in your business, they expect that your plan is one day you want someone to come and buy this business off you. They want to, you know, maybe a, a trade buyer or you might want to list it on a public market because that's how they kind of end up selling their shares. So I think if you want to take funding from someone like that, you have to be on the same page in that regard. I suppose, I suppose my next question leads on from that. Whenever I see an investor create a deck like this, we always have this exit phrase at the end. Mm-hmm. As, you know, I've set up my own business now. Is it important that I'm either thinking of exit or, or you know, how far down the line do I need to be thinking? And, and what, what, what would you expect from me? Probably at the point of deciding to take funding on from an external shareholder, you kind of... At that point, if you decide you need to take money from an external investor, you're also saying to them effectively that my job here is to grow this as an as an asset, grow it as an investment with a view to selling it within seven or eight years' time. So if you're at the point where you decide that investment is for you in this way, you're also saying that selling it in seven or eight times is your aim. And if you're not aligned on that, then you're probably going to create yourself some problems down the down the line, either... You know, if you, if you decide that you don't want to sell the business later and you want to just run it and take a dividend from it, just run it as a lifestyle business, then you're going to end up with 20 or 30% of your business owned by people who are agitating for you to sell it. Because how else do they, how else do they sell their shares? Like buying shares in, a, in an unquoted company is a very illiquid asset to, to hold. So you're kind of going to have a bit of disgruntlement on your shareholder register and you then may need to, to buy them out. And you may be in a position where you can do that. You know, you can, once, if, you get, if you have a big profitable business that can support debt, you can take on, you can put debt into the business to buy out those old shareholders, buy the shares back off them. But I think if, you're, if you decide, I'm going to go and find some angel investors, implicit, the, the kind of implication from that is that you're also agreeing that your plan has now become that you're going to sell it in five or six years, or, you know, six, between, let's say six, seven, eight years' time. Yes. Does that make sense? It, it does, it does, because because all you're doing is you're justifying to me that, you know, is when I look for someone like you, I've also got to, I've got other people's considerations now. It's not yeah. just about what I want. It's not about a lifestyle business. It's not about getting it to 5 million. It's about what do we want? Mm-hmm. And that's a different approach to when it's just me on my own. Yeah. I suppose my next question then comes on to, um, in fact, let's just see what that question was. Sorry, we just had a question through. Um. Are there any investors or funding areas that specialize in ethical businesses or not-for-profits? I'd say not-for-profits is maybe a tougher one, and I would know less about that because, I mean, ultimately, you know, we, we, 
any investor now wants businesses they invest in to be kind of ethical and sustainable. Like, why, why wouldn't they? That's what consumers want. It's what, it's what everyone needs. Uh, not-for-profit is, is a bit more difficult, though, because, again, when I'm talking about taking a, a stake in a business here, the idea is, you know, you multiply up that, yeah, the, the, the value of that stake. So it's harder on a, on a not-for-profit because I don't think anyone else is going to kind of come in and acquire that business. But I think for, for, for businesses that are run for commercial gain, for a, for a profit, and that are trying to grow... I think there's there's there are, there's like ethical investors. There's people like Green Angel Syndicate, people like Mustard Seed, who are a small fund who like to back things with an impact and things with sustainability at, at their core. Yeah, there are people like that. Well, I mean, it, it kind of leads on to my next question because on the next slide you talk about there's three key areas that you're looking at from a business. You know, mm -hmm. the the team, the market, and the scalability. Yeah. Now, you know, is is typically when I you know look look at this is you know I'm trying to tick three boxes. From your point of view, you know, what's most important? Is there a mix of these that, you know, I need to, um, you know, particularly yeah. consider, you know, is, is you put team and people first. And I don't, I don't know whether you've seen it, but in some of the slide decks I've seen, it's almost the last slide because people aren't too, you know, is we're not naturally putting ourselves forward. I mean, yeah, sure. what's your sort of thoughts on that? The team, at the stage of investment we're making, the team is the most important. The team's experience, because we're looking at, you know, we might be looking at a set of investment papers, you know, an investment presentation, a pitch deck or a funding model when a business is in its like first year of trading and so many things can change and, you know, businesses become different things and there's pivots you've got to make. So at that very, very early stage, I know that the financial model I'm looking at or the business plan I'm looking at is not what the final business is going to be. You know, if it becomes successful in five or six years, it'll have probably changed a lot since, you know, until up to that point. It might be a completely different business now than it was then. There's an example, like within our own portfolio, we invested in a business. It was kind of like a fantasy football style app uh, with where you would like bet, like me and you would pick a five-a-side team, football team, and I would bet you a fiver that mine would get more points than yours one week. Dribble Media, it was called. And through various things that were happening uh, in the kind of gambling industry, one of their big partners was acquired by somebody else and it kind of killed their entire business model. So they pivoted, they changed that business and became, they rebuilt it as, a, as an esports first betting company. It's just like a, like a Ladbrokes for esports gambling, for example. Yeah. Totally, totally different from, from what they started out as, but they're one of the leading companies in our portfolio and have attracted investment from you know, some really exciting funds after us. So I just think that is why the, the team is so important, the, the perceived ability to be able to pivot and you know, deal with things that are thrown in your direction. For me, that is the most important thing. Just on that, it, it, you know, as an investor, sorry, as a business owner myself, you know, is I take it then from from your point of view, you need you need me to be honest and, and understand where I'm lacking, and you know, is, is it easier for you to invest in someone and say, look, I need the money because I'm missing this person. Look, the team's here, but there's someone missing. You know, is that honesty a helpful thing? I think so because I think that shows a kind of. I don't know what the right word is, you know, kind of self-awareness and, and, and emotional intelligence to, to understand where your blind spots are. And, you know, I wouldn't, essentially wouldn't invest in someone who kind of says, I'm good at selling, but I'm clueless at building. I'm, you know, I'm rubbish <laughs> at technology. I need to find someone like that. I think it's just, I think it's quite a, it's a skill that I don't think many people have of trying to identify their own blind spots and being big enough and bold enough to say, I'm not, you know, it, it's my business, but I'm not good at this and I want someone to come and help me with it. I think that's a, uh, that's a big thing. I think certain business, you know, if, if it's, a, if it's a, 
someone's got an idea to kind of run a technology business and they're starting it, I think they need to have some kind of technical capability to understand what they can do. And I think for certain industries, you need to have that capability in the, in the founding member, in my yeah. view. Um, but I think that's a key skill to have, like the, the awareness to, to say where your blind spots are. It doesn't put me off. Well, the, the obvious example, as we've seen in the news recently, is Gymshark and you yeah. know, understanding yeah. your limitations. You know, it's a business at the end of the day, and we, we all don't grow up knowing everything. You know, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much every business owner, barring a few who've had it, will almost have an accountant, for example. That's yeah. just you know, a different arm to a team. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'll do now, if it's okay, is uh, Ismay, um, yes, we will get those to you. Um, you know, one way or another, maybe not in the chat um, because we're, we're, we're in the middle of the conversation now. Um, a question for you, James. Um, does KM and Capital invest overseas or are you, um, are you open to investing in, in other countries? Uh, we have done. We have. A, there's only one. So 22 companies we've invested in, one's headquartered in the US um, because we felt we could kind of get to grips with that as a jurisdiction. Like we had people who we could lean on, who we know, who kind of helped us through that whole like legal framework and environment of, you know, what, what a legal agreement for making an investment in an American business looks like. And mm. we're able to kind of due diligence that for us. Other places I'd say that would be more difficult. I think we, we know what a, a UK legal agreement looks like. We know how the market works. We know what investors expect. We know who the other players are, who we can, you know, refer a business on to when it gets too big for us. The example they've actually used, sorry, sorry, just to sorry. the example they've actually used is Ireland. So would Ireland? Oh, Ireland, be... yeah, I would imagine that. I yeah. don't see any issues with that at all. No. Yeah, okay. Because I'd say, you know, it, it's a jurisdiction that I, yeah. maybe I'm <laughs> ignorant saying this, but I can't see it's loads different from England. Okay, um, sorry, I'll come back to you in a bit, Christian. Um, I'm just going to carry on with a few questions I've already got set up. On your next slide, you know, the sort of next step, the questions that you're asking. Um, so, so ignoring those three fundamentals that you expect in businesses to get past, you know, COVID's changed the world. It's changing around us. We've got, you know, increased automation, AI, VR. Um, you know, h- how important is this innovation to you? You know, are you still prepared to go and invest in, you know, a, a normal industry, you know, as, as pre-COVID or is this digital age now a major consideration? Like fundamentally, a good solid business is a, is a good business, like no matter, no matter what it does. I do think businesses that are underpinned by technology in some way, I would class as more like scalable as I put on the previous slide. So any business we invest in has probably got a big element of tech to it. So you know, I, prob- I don't think we'd invest, like, well, I know we wouldn't invest in a, a, a retail store on a high street, for example, that we just wouldn't invest in something like that because it's like a declining area. But I think all the, all the kind of areas that you've mentioned, like AR and VR and uh, things like that are kind of growing markets. We had a, a business has come across my desk today in uh, voice technology kind of sits on top of things like Alexa and, uh, you know, the, what the Google equivalent of that is, whose name escapes me, but, you know, that's really poor. I can't remember that off the top of my head. But um, yeah, like, I think we try to, it's hard, like, if, you, if you're looking at an investment opportunity, from our point of view, we're going to be investors for like eight or nine years, probably. So you've got to kind of project your mind forward and say, well, how might this fit with the, <laughs> with the world in eight or nine years time? And it's ridiculous. And people looked at Uber and said, like, stupid idea, that's not going to work. But certain industries you, you would look at and say, I don't think that's going to be that big in eight or nine years time. But, but that's also gives an indication to me as a, an owner of a business as to who I may be able to access. So if I've got a, a, you know, one of these non-digital, more standard industries, then obviously a VC who's looking for that 40 times, it's probably not for me. 
So it gives me an idea of, of the sort of investors that I should be looking for. Yeah, definitely. And it's a two-way street. Definitely, like, you need to make sure you're inviting in the right type of mindset and the right investor into your business as much as, you know, sell yourself to them. It's, mm. it's, not, it's not so much about advertising and pitching your business to other people. It's, it should be a two-way street. It should be an investor kind of outlining to you why they are the right type of person who should be supporting you as well. Um, just to finish off this slide then before, before I go into some of the questions again, um, you know, as you put their revenue model, financial model, funding round, you know, I'm from a retail background. These are new concepts to me. Mm. Um, you know, people telling me I need them, people telling me how important they are. How do I go and get help in these areas? And once someone puts this spreadsheet in front of me and tells me, oh, look, you've got a nice financial model here. How do I know I've got a good financial model? And are there any particular things that you're going to tell me now as an investor that you know, need to be in it or, or are particularly relevant? Uh, I do think that's difficult. And I think that's to do with your network and who you, know, who you, who you kind of have around you and advising you almost. I think it's imp- it'd be impossible to, to know. There will be no answer to that question. If you're just kind of sitting and, yeah. and running a business from your back bedroom, you know, or even more than that, you know, it's hard to do it in isolation. I think you need a good network. Again, I talked about accelerators before. They're just, they can be like a hub of 20 or 30 entrepreneurs all mucking in and helping each other out. And you can learn from each other in that kind of environment. You can contract with people like C Legal, who I mentioned earlier, um, or people like Robot Mascot, you know, the, the kind of branding agency that I mentioned. There's people out there who know what good looks like because they've seen it a lot. Um, and I mean, short of all that and kind of, kind of paying someone uh, to do it. And I don't think people are really that expensive, like startup accountants. Um, you can just get on those platforms, again, like Crowdcube and Cedars, look around those, try and get yourself some access to the documentation that other companies have produced and just get a feel for it. And, and that is probably what, what good looks like, people who are listed on platforms like that. Okay, I've got a question here from Christiane. <laughs> I think I'm sure you surely enjoy this one. Um, she, she runs an online accessories brand and she's fighting it hard to get investment. Um, do you have any advice as, you know, a lot of people are um, refusing to invest in, indus- in certain industries because of the likes of Pretty Little Thing and Boohoo? Um, you know, it's Kamani Capital. Do you find, you know, that some industries are so dominated that you're not going to invest in them? Yeah, and I think I mentioned some. So on my slide here, you know, number four, competition, I think it'll be hard to get, you know, an equity investor to back a business like that because the model is quite well trodden, it's quite well worn. And I think in order to in order to get investment for a business like that, I think you've got to show how you're going to dislodge the incumbent way of working. You're going to have to be like a depop or a you know a rent the runway, someone who does something like fundamentally different for me as a consumer. You can't it probably cannot just be like another, you know, e-commerce platform. It can't just be another kind of Shopify shop selling an, an, a different product probably in order to get this type of investment. I think you've got to, you know, I mentioned before the VC, like the common VC phrase will be, how is this 10 times better than what's already out there? Mm. Because if you're not 10 times better, you're going to really struggle to dislodge the incumbent. So it's quite hard to succeed or get funding for what people might think is, you know, I wouldn't say like just another PLT, but do you know what I mean? It's got to be kind of sufficiently different and sufficiently disruptive and, but from my point of view, then, as a business owner, I suppose I then have to be more considerate as to who I'm targeting for investment. So mm-hmm. straight away, if I, if I don't think I'm going to be taking over Boohoo in that industry and I've got you know smaller range, smaller target market, you know, clearly VCs are out. 
maybe what I need to do is, is find a, an angel investor who likes what I do, you know, is relevant in the industry, who can provide some funding and start to grow me gradually. Because at the end of the day, profit's profit. Mm-hmm. And an investor yeah. who finds profit, we all want the 40, 100 times, you know, initial investment. But, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there who just want a better return than, than they yeah. would normally get in investments or cash. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who are investing their own funds. There are a lot of people who don't have to, you know, I mentioned how a VC is funded. Ultimately, that's what dictates the, the alternative to a, to a VC investor of investing in something else is what dictates they need such a ridiculous return from what they invest in. So people like this on the screen now, you know, angel groups or angel syndicates and more people I would look for with that type of business. So local to me, for example, in Manchester here, you've got a firm called GC Angels. They have a small fund of their own that they invest through. But part of their commercial model is then connecting up a business into which they've invested with all the high net worth individuals as part of their network. So they have a group, I don't know how many they have on their kind of mailing list, but you know, they have various different kind of high net worth people who are interested in making investments into businesses like that. If GC Angels can connect them with that business, then it's part of their commercial model to kind of do that. They take a small percentage of any funds they introduce. So it's a nice service where everyone is quite aligned. You know, GC Angels might make an investment, they might connect you with a relevant angel investor who then puts X thousand pounds in a business. Everybody kind of win. Everybody kind of wins out of that. So for maybe for a business like that, I'd I'd recommend kind of going more down this route. Yeah. No. No. Th- thank you for that. Um, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to touch on a few of the areas you know we sort of talked about. And the first sort of says I've set up my business today. You know, is is you wanted to see that you know I'm pot committed as well, essentially that I've got some skin in the game. Yeah. You know, is is does it matter how much I'm putting in or is it, you know, is it, do you think it's relative to the worth and how long do I need to? Cause if I've tried doing it for five years on my own and failed, maybe the business isn't going to work equally. Yeah. If I've done it for five weeks and just thought, mm, I'm going to get some money off someone, mm-hmm. you know, what's the balancing act for me as a, you know, as someone looking for investment in terms of self-funding. Yeah. Well, I think in terms of if you've been going for a long period of time, five or six, seven years, like, businesses that we've had a good long chat with who have almost kind of gone on that journey but with them there's maybe some there's, a, there's something that's happened which has become kind of transformative to that business so zoom is obviously a majorly established business and zoom is a bad example probably to use here but you know imagine a business that had been running plodding along for six or seven years which was like zoom and then covid comes about and suddenly that's a different proposition it doesn't matter that it's taken seven years to get to where it's got which isn't that far the world is a different place now. Like COVID is an extreme example, but there needs to be something that's happened, which means it's on a fundamentally different kind of path right now. So that covers, you know, if you've been running for a number of years. Um, and then in terms of your own finances, I don't think there's, there's not like a limit of what you need to put in, but I'd say it's a tough sell if maybe you've only put a couple of grand into a business, which you are now valuing at, you know, a million quid. Um, Equally... So equally, if I don't have money, you know, but, but I'm a grafter, I'm working, mm. you know, is there a yeah. compensation factor that, you know, is, is I there... know. Yeah, we, we spoke to somebody, I spoke to somebody just today who maybe could put in not, a, well, for me, it would be a huge amount of my, my money to put into a business, but, in a, you know, for some of the businesses we speak to, it wasn't a huge amount of investment that that business has had, but she talked about, she talked us through her CV and her previous roles that she had had and the pay cut, well, she wasn't getting paid now she was working on this startup and she was foregoing a 200 grand a year salary to run this business so i'm thinking like that is you know a solid investment that mm. um you know your time for six months is worth you know the opportunity cost to you is massive 
So yeah, so there, there is that. There's also kind of company builders actually, which I've not really touched on in too much depth here. So, you know, the startup factory in Manchester, for example, is a good one here. You know, I could approach them with a, a bit of an idea, no technical ability to code it up and create a product. If they rate me as, you know, they rate the idea and they rate me, they will build that product for me. So I've got my tech built for no fee, but they would maybe take a certain percentage of my business. There's company builders like that. There's another one in Liverpool called We Are Nova. You know, you apply to We Are Nova or there's others like Antler is one in London. Entrepreneur First is held out as like the biggest and best one. You know, you apply to that either, you know, with or without an idea, but just because you feel like you've, I don't know, got, got something to add, you, you apply to that and they take a big stake in your business and kind of seed it for you. They give you a give you hundred grand to build something with and pay your salary for a bit. And then you hopefully, and then so they own about 10% of that business or maybe more, but hopefully for them it pays off because you, you go and grow something massive out of it. So there are kind of company builders who will invest day one. I suppose, that, I mean, that sort of answers part of my next question is, is we're on this accelerators, incubators slide. Um, they're very popular now. I mean, you can't walk around Manchester Town Centre without being within 100 yards of one. Yeah. Um, do I need one? Uh, and, and how do I know which one to pick? Because, I mean, you can pretty much, you know, on your hand, you can name five banks straight away that'll have one in spinning fields, for example. Yeah. How, how do I know which one I want? Uh, it kind of, like, depends what you think your blind spots are. As a business, like, like do you need one? I'd say no. When I talk to founders, generally... Almost all of them would say, I like the fact that I was in a shared workspace with 20 other people at a similar stage of business that I was. You know, one's running a fashion brand, one's running, running a property portal, one's running you know, a forecasting business. Like, none of them are the same, but each of them has sort of like similar broad problems or things that they need to get good at in the background. So it's more like the, the networking with like-minded people that you would get in an accelerator. Short of that, I think, I think different ones are... are, are but there's some that are kind of sector specific. So the Founders Factory on there, for example, has like a health and beauty tech. Uh, it has like an entertainment arm to it. You know, so if you're a business roughly in that space, they have like sector expertise for you. And some of their investors are big corporates in that space. For others, um, you know, it might be connections to investors. So I think you've just got to do your homework and read up as much as you can about an, an accelerator and think how, in what way is this the right partner for me to get to the next level? Like tech stars, you know, every single investor in the world, I would imagine, and they're global, they're massive, they're huge. So if I, if I had a business and I really had started to build something and I wanted their investor connections, I'd apply to them. Okay, um, thanks for that. Um, I mean, it's, it, we've kind of covered this one. I just want to quickly ask you one thing. When people talk about angel investment, you know, you've listed a load of places people can go, but... Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes people don't want to go down direct routes. You know, in pretty much every business, people are after HNWs, high net worth individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, is, is what's the benefit of an angel investor? And, you know, you, you, you discussed one way going through companies. What's the benefit of going through a company as opposed to just getting someone direct? Well, these people are kind of, you know, I don't, there's no database of individuals <laughs> you can go to. It's kind of... Who do you know? I think we, there's a business that we made an investment in and they were telling us the story of how they got the first investment. And I think they scoured LinkedIn or scraped LinkedIn and anyone who had angel investor anywhere in their LinkedIn profile was maybe about a hundred of them. And they sent a private message to each, just a blank message. You know, this is what we're doing. I'm not suggesting everybody go out and do that, 
but this, this is this is like the sorts yeah. of things that you would have to do to engage these people individually. It's competitive, isn't it? There's only so yeah. many of them. Yeah, and they don't put their hand up and advertise themselves. It's the same as family offices. People talk about family offices, but there's no like repository of family offices you can just write <clears throat> you can just write to. So I think if you go through a company like I was talking about these guys before, like GC Angel Startup Funding Club, Q Ventures, they already have a community of people who have expressed an interest in investing in early stage businesses. You know, that is about as good as you're ever going to get in terms of people with access to this kind of deal. And then ultimately, if your business is growing quickly and it's profitable and it seems a good prospect, people will probably come to you anyway. Mm. You know, it's an easier set. Like, it's, it's, people, sell, yeah. it's an easier sell if you're kind of doing well. And that is like fundamental to any of this. Your business needs to be doing well and growing. And that is the most important thing, making sure your, your business just, looks after itself. I'm just going to rush you now with two quick questions um, because we're running out of time. But um, you mentioned crowdfunding. Is there a minimum? Is there a maximum? You know, no, there's no minimum or maximum. Um, but I'd say let's use Brewdog, for example. It already had like millions and millions of customers who loved it, real advocates of the brand. So they just fly off the shelf like Monzo is another one like that. Yeah. There's no minimum or maximum. There's companies that can raise 100 grand on there. You need some kind of prior backing, especially if you're a small business, you know, because you see this like progress bar here. It's hard hitting Crowdcube with no commitments to get interest from members of the public. You need to have some kind of prior backing before you get on And there. just as an extension to that, if I'm a oh my business and I go through crowdfunding, I don't have to deal with, that says 15, 30 investors. Yeah. I just deal with Crowdcube as, as an entity. Pretty much. I think there's different options you can use here, but this classic like BrewDog won't be dealing with 1,500. They'll be dealing with Crowdcube nominees, LLP, probably if you go on company's house and look at their investors, you know, those 1,500 people, their funds go into a Crowdcube pot. Crowdcube invests it, and Crowdcube kind of manages, you know, the voting decisions and anything around compliance that shareholders need to do, Crowdcube manage it. Um, well, well, I mean, we're actually out of time now. I've, I've not seen any more questions, so apologies if there are that have gone through. Um, as I say, it's absolutely fantastic for, for Dale to have sorted today out for us. And James, you know, for sharing Kamani's secrets on your own time. Um, yeah, as I say, for anybody who has any follow-ups, you know, is you know, you can contact James, myself, or Dale, or, or yeah. the Fashion Network via LinkedIn, or I think James's details at the bottom. Right, right, yeah, feel free to contact me. I hope it's been helpful. Um, and as I say, is Dale and I are hoping to put on a series of similar sorts of events. Um, you know, is, is this is the first, but you know, as we can tell you what we think you need, it's just as important that you come to us and let us know what you think may be of help. Um, you know, we're, we're ultimately trying to help businesses at what is a very, you know, complex time in the market. So, you know, please get in touch with us. Please tell us where you're, you know, what problems you're having. Um, and, and if we can help you in any way, we will. So um, I think we're going we're gonna to close the webinar there, but, you know, thanks. And um, I look forward to seeing you at the next one. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Bye.